0: It's always game day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
1: We are back on. It's always game day in Cincinnati. We want to talk everything off season, but first I have to ask, how you doing, Mike?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I love the weather. You know, summer's great. I, I love heat. It rained a lot the past couple days, though, so I don't love that. But. Um... I don't know. Summer's my favorite uh season. Probably, probably not yours. It's it seems like I'm not a, fall a super popular. Falls
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. a fall girl.
0: Fall gets too cool. too August. quick. That's my issue.
1: Yes. I agree with that. I was born in August. Um, so I've always kind of wished I had a birthday that was in September. Cause when you're a kid, you always miss your birthday during school when you're born in August, if you were born before the start date. So I'm a little partial to let's get the fall. I love the fall. I love football. I love the weather, but I agree with you. It does get cold too soon in the fall.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's like September is a really good month mm-hmm. by October. The, the high is like 45 some days. I don't like that. Also as somebody who had my birthday sometimes at school usually around easter time so not always Mm -hmm. overrated i i would rather not have to go to school on my birthday than have people like half-heartedly wish me a happy birthday i mean (laughs) got announced on the announcements once before i skipped Mm -hmm. it in high school i just didn't go the one day i was like i'm not going man we didn't.
1: I obviously wasn't on the announcement. Uh, I blame my parents. Uh, I was born in the summer, but, uh, but yeah, we're here. We're in the summer break for the Cincinnati Bengals. And one of the things we're going to try and do between now and training camp, which it's crazy to think about because July is going to be on Saturday. So we're almost there. We'll get down to the weeks of training camp hype and which players in his best shape of his life, what the offensive line's going to look like All of them. maybe con- contract extensions.
0: There's Going to be players you haven't heard of, they're in the best shape of their life.
1: We, when we get, we are going to have fun with that the week before training camp. We're going to come up with all of the sayings that we're going to hear. Maybe we'll connect them to players who we're going to hear it about. Chris
0: Evans is working some, at a wide receiver, <laughs> You're I mean, on
1: it's going to be absolutely insane. So maybe we'll have a little fun with that when we get closer to training camp. But right now, I said, you know, let's do Tuesdays let's do a little player profile. It doesn't have to be the most popular player on the team. It could be a new guy, one we don't talk about enough and I felt like we were getting a lot of questions last week about Herb Smith Jr. And listening to the coordinators, Brian Callahan, talk about him, um, just been really impressed with what he was able to do in the offseason program with this offense, that early connection with Joe Burrow, As we've mentioned before, tight ends really see success with Joe Burrow if they can get that healthy year in. So maybe Herb Smith will see that and that connection's there. I want to talk everything, Herb Smith. I'm going to let you drive.
0: Okay. Um, I will start this with... Who had more yards, Hayden Hurst or C.J. Uzama, in the last two years? Like, w- which one for the Bengals had more yards? C.J. Uzama? He did, yeah, 493. Uh, and he had more Close. touchdowns. But that is also what the bar is for <laughs> what, a, you know, the Bengals are get tight ends paid. They get uh, to make, you know, these guys look better. less than 500 yards it's five touchdowns is the peak so uh let's let's slow the horse a little bit because there's just so many mouths to feed and you're not going to get to any of the tight ends that they've had before you get to tyler boyd and you're probably not gonna probably not gonna get to them before you get mixing his touches so you're looking at like the fifth guy in the in the cycle here um Pecking order. I was thinking that. Jeez. The fifth guy in the pecking order. Uh, so they're they're not gonna end up they might be talented enough for a seven hundred yard season, seven touchdown type thing. Um, maybe even in some situations they could go for double digit touchdowns, but there's just so many mouths to feed, right? Because Jamar Chase is gonna get probably at least be on pace when he's healthy for somewhere around fifteen hundred yards and T Higgins at least 1200 and tyler boyd is going to push for a thousand and well now you're already at thirty-seven hundred yards and how many more does burrow throw plenty of those are gonna to go to the running back some goes to the tight end some will go to charlie jones some will go to trent irwin some of those will go to the backup running backs uh it's just there's a lot so when we're talking statistically what do we think irv smith can do do you think that he does better worse or about the same like where do you think he falls statistically this year where do you think he will fall between Hurst and Uzama they both were in between four and five hundred yards do you think that's where Smir- Smurf- <laughs> Smith <laughs> Smith ends up
1: okay I will say this about him just because his build is different more of a receiver mm-hmm. type I would say, and if he can stay healthy, I always feel like you have to add that asterisk. And, and no offense to Irv Smith, but I always just feel like that connection's there um, so far early in his NFL career. He's,
0: he's I missed, say, um, I mean, you're fully valid here. He's missed an entire season, uh, and then he missed nine games last year. So uh,
1: I would probably say, because we're going around the range of what Hayden Hurst, CJ Zama, where they were able to do over the last few years, I would say he could get close to 600. Around okay. the
0: six hundred. We'll say with Hurst, uh, missed games, missed four games, so Hurst may have been able to push past. He had more yards per game than Uzama, so he might have been able to push past five hundred. Um,
1: there was some, there was some, some drops, big, <laughs> big ones.
0: Big ones. <laughs> you mean <laughs> from the next guys? Next guys up?
1: I mean, I mean from. I mean, Hayden Hurst could have had a few more yards oh, okay. in the game Oh if he would well, played.
0: I mean, yeah. When you make the I'll never forget because I made the plus ten thousand dollar bet that Hurst scores the first touchdown and he dropped it. Oh well, it was part of a parlay well, that was never gonna hit, not worried about it. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm, not thinking, I'm not bitter about the AFC Championship game at all. You know, we're looking forward. You have Irv Smith Jr. But uh tell me a little more about him because I think the next thing people make a connection with is, can he block? Blocking, blocking. Can he block? Is it he going to help this offense? And can Herb Smith Jr. block?
0: So I think it's interesting because he tries, and that is something that a never sounds great, but it is what it is. I mean, can he block like Rob Gronkowski? No. And I think I've heard even seen some people say, like, he's a good blocking tight end. Like, I, oh, man, I don't know if I'd go that far <laughs> because the issue is just he's a little small, And when he gives effort, he doesn't have the great length. And he has the want to, but just not the body, to make all these blocks. These blocks I'm talking about right now are blocks on defensive ends. um, You know, maybe big outside linebackers and and an odd three-four front. So, basically, defensive linemen that the tackle blocks. That's something that Rob Gronkowski, but even guys like Nick Boyle and Mercedes Lewis have made a a living on being able to block those guys and basically be an offensive tackle. Irv, he's not an extra offensive lineman. He's good. I think you can use him well blocking. I think he does a a lot or at least some stuff well blocking. What I mean by that is I think he does a good job when he is blocking in space because he's a good athlete. And he does a good job tracking the linebackers, safeties, corners, whoever at the second level in space. A lot of guys miss that. That's one of the biggest parts, especially offensive linemen will miss that because they're not super shifty athletic. So they get a little move put on them and they completely whiff the block Irv usually doesn't whiff that block. So he'll at least get on them. I think he does a good job sustaining and driving in space as well. When he's bigger than a guy, he exerts his will because he has a want to, to try to drive these guys. Um, Overall, does that make him a great blocking tight end? Probably not, because the Bengals are going to ask him to block those defensive ends sometimes, and I think it's going to show up. I think once in a while, you're just going to see like, yeah, I mean, he tried, but that TJ Watt's too good, or uh, it could even be like doesn't have to go TJ Watt level. Like Odafẹ Oway just beat him, and you just got to live with that sometimes, uh, because these tight ends. They're gonna block ends on time. Sometimes that's just every NFL scheme has that happen. That you don't always get the offensive tackle on the end. Depends on the run you're giving, where you want your double team, etc. But if you want to put him out lead blocking on a screen, or you want to put him lead blocking on a toss play, or something like that, I think he does a good job. And if you want to put him in the slot and have him block corners. Great. I think that works out well too, but he's going to be asked. And I don't know how often, I don't think he will never succeed in blocking a defensive end. I just think that's an area that he won't consistently win at, even though he's going to give you good effort. And it did also feel love the interview locked on Bengals friends of the show did with uh, Brian Callahan. And it did seem like Brian was kind of saying something like, you know, there's extra offensive tackle types, but they're not, you know, really receivers and you really just want a guy that's going to try hard, and Irv does that, which is all true. It's just, temper. it's off-season, so expectations, I assume, are through the roof with everybody. Yeah, Yeah. just temper a little bit, just temper a little bit and just say like, you know, he's not going to win every block, but that's okay because he's going to add a lot of value as a tight end and a big slot receiver moving around Getting on mismatches and he can add value blocking when he gets on guys in space. What he does on ends, if he gets a successful block there, gravy. That's just gravy on top of the mashed potato meat pie of Irv Smith.
1: When you think of just past history with tight ends, we we talked about CJ Uzama. You look at Hayden Hurst. How would you compare Irv Smith Jr. to past history of types of tight ends that the Cincinnati Bengals have had? I mean, is he an upgrade over CJ and Hayden?
0: You, um, upgrade? Because I think Uzama was the best blocker of the trio. I think he actually mm-hmm. added some value there. because, And he also had to kind of – that's how he stayed on the team early on, really. It was, he was a fifth-round pick that was athletic, and he learned how to block. That's why he's on the Jets. That's why he's on the Jets. That's right. They didn't bring in a Tyler Conklin to block. Uh so when they need a guy, they use Uzama. It is also a dumb, interesting trend that I have noticed is CJ Uzama is six foot six, Hayden Hurst is six foot four, and Irv Smith is six foot two. So they keep going down two inches on the tight end. <laughs> Not
1: as tall as Trent Nerwin.
0: <laughs> yeah, Trent Irwin's taller. Um Irv is the first one that is smaller, too, but because uh, Hayden Hurst was dense. He was 260. Uzama was 260, and Irv is about 240. So that is where the blocking part comes in, is just he's 6'2", 240. 20 years ago, he's probably a wide receiver, but he's a good tight end now. But it's just once in a while, it's going to show up. Uh, I don't know if I can say better. I think he's by far the most unique, though. I think he's unique for an NFL tight end, not just for a Bengals tight end. There's not a lot of six foot two, 240-pound guys playing tight end. A, because they usually want someone taller. So that comes into play with some of the traditional tight end stuff you see. Is he going to be a monster on seam balls over the middle? I'm not sure because we haven't really seen it. He's not a great contested catch guy, and he's not super tall to just high point and moss over those linebackers actually see T Higgins in that spot, maybe a little bit more than you do Irv who knows, but what can he do that other tenants can't, he could actually be a vertical threat. I think that's something we always want from tight ends, but it's kind of rare and he can actually do it. Although he did drop. I feel like I always have to preface with the <laughs> national television, Monday night football. He did drop the one time he got wide open. <laughs> you know, let's talk about that part too. He was able to beat his guy, run deep wide open down the field. but he did drop it Uh, would have been like a 70 yard touchdown, but you could throw bombs to him. That's something that's just, you didn't really see that with Hurst. And I can only remember a couple with Uzama even, and those were long developing, you know, type plays. So best I temper my expectations with that. I think he could be, especially as a pass catcher because he's so unique. I think he's the best route runner of the trio. I think he's the one that you could use the best as a receiver. He's just not, like your traditional tight end. He's kind of unique and interesting. And I think that's kind of my favorite part about everything is just how do they use a guy that's this unique type build at tight end. They clearly wanted him and they went out and got him in free agency. This wasn't just a, an accidental type thing or a late round draft pick, throw a flyer on him. They like him. So what is the idea on usage there? Is that something because we saw in the AFC championship game with Boyd out where you go double, Mm -hmm. double. Is that something where you couldn't push the field with Hurst? Although he didn't catch that nice, uh, about what 15 yard out route uh, to Mm -hmm. keep the drive alive on like third and 12. Yeah, that was huge, but could Irv actually get an explosive out of that? I think that would be the exciting thing. Can you get a 20 plus yard gainer because they're putting a linebacker on your tight end that moves really well. So I'm interested to see. I think Irv to me is just really interesting. Hurst wasn't as interesting last year because it felt a little bit like, yeah, he's he's a solid tight end. Uh he's athletic, but they don't really he's never really been a guy that you can push down the field stuff with. He had, I think, his lowest average depth of target, so they weren't throwing the ball very far down the field. With Irv, I almost expect the opposite. Is are they gonna push it a little bit with him? And they're gonna use him in traditional tight end stick, tight end quick out type stuff, but are they also, are they also going to push it down the field? Then I think that's going to be the most interesting part because that could make or break whether he is the best tight end in the past three years or whether he's just kind of you know, four hundred to five hundred yards out of here and get an okay deal somewhere else.
1: I mean, whatever helps them win the games, that's all that matters with with <laughs> Smith Jr. If you can stay healthy, go get your bag at the end of the season. Um, but for him, when you're on the field at the same time as T. Higgins, mm-hmm. Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, you're you're gonna get the ball more than likely. Uh, So I think that's gonna be really fun to see with this offense. And if you haven't listened to it already, highly recommend going to the Locked On Bengals podcast. You can hear the interview with Brian Cowley and he talks about the offense and it really just feels like his excitement. And, And I know he was on with Lap too. I listened to that podcast and he just seemed so pumped about what this offense is gonna be. And it's crazy to think we've watched over the last few years and thought, wow, they could still do more. And we'll see how Irv Smith really impacts the offense and hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, But every week, again, leading up to training camp, we're, we're gonna do a little player profile on different guys. We'll throw it out on social media and you guys can let us know who you want to hear from next. Next, we're gonna talk about another new guy, Orlando Brown. Next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.
0: In Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
1: We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. A little Irv Smith Jr., and then we're going to go ahead and talk about another Jr., Orlando Brown Jr., an offensive lineman, huge offseason pickup for the Cincinnati Bengals. He moves to left tackle, hear those conversations in the offseason. Jonah Williams, is he gonna play right tackle? What what is that going to look like? And you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times on this podcast because we could talk offensive alignment all day for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it really feels like that Orlando Brown Jr., he he came into Cincinnati and he's really just embracing his role. And I've really enjoyed watching that so far this offseason.
0: Yeah, I'm right, doing the red stuff. Uh I haven't seen him eat Skyline, but I've seen him be, be given Skyline merchandise, uh, but you know, also he's been in, around in the community and everything like that I stayed here instead of going to the White House. He just seems like he is really embracing Cincinnati yet yeah, that I would say that and uh, he also was part of a great part of the schedule reveal with the, the mayor.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. As long as the the mayor was talking today, I'm going to say this really quickly. So as as everybody knows, Taylor Swift is going to be playing at Paycor Stadium. It is connection to the Cincinnati Bengals because it's at Paycor. And the mayor was talking today for making a Taylor Swift day on Friday, which I'm excited. I'm going to the concert. But I was so afraid he was going to say something that he would regret when he was talking. Every single time he makes something. I feel like he
0: learned like learn the lesson
1: was a bad moment. But yeah, I loved uh, Orlando Brown Jr. being a part of that. That was absolutely huge. Just really really been fun to watch. But there was another thing. Um, I think he's great with the media. He did an interview with Anthony Munoz and you could tell he sounded so excited to talk to Anthony um, just as a player, but also doing the podcast with him. And I, and I really recommend listening to that. It's on the Dan Horde podcast. But he was on NFL Live yesterday and he said this. And I think a lot of people had mixed feelings and, and mostly the people that live in Kansas City. Uh, but for the most part, I really didn't think it was he was wrong when he said it, but I'm going to repeat the quote. He said, on blocking for Joe Burrow. now as opposed to having to play in a lot more space with guys on my edge, guys have got to rush through me because Joe isn't necessarily at 12 and a half or 13 yards on certain drops. He's going to be about seven and a half getting the ball out. And if you go to this tweet from Twitter... You see some of the quote tweets, and for the most part, a lot of people are like, oh no, he's bashing Patrick Mahomes. How dare he? He left Kansas City, and he's talking bad about him. He he just needs to get over it. I didn't take it as a negative thing on Patrick Mahomes. They're different style of quarterbacks when they're out there, and that's going to be different for Orlando Brown. I want you to break down that quote and explain what Orlando Brown was saying.
0: Okay, so I watched it. I watched the segment, which was longer than the quote, and always love Partial quotes, you know, <laughs> it's not the full thing because he even makes it more clear that this is not a Patrick Mahomes bashing type thing when he talks about how some of this is by design that Patrick's can be that deep and the Bengals don't go that deep. The Bengals like to run more quick game, three step drops from the, the shotgun, whereas the Chiefs will go for shot plays, five step drops, sometimes even a seven in their play action and a deep drop and a deep set. And that's where he's supposed to be. But that's harder on the tackle because he's so far deep but that's also how they get explosive plays because Patrick Mahomes can throw that ball 75 yards or whatever and it doesn't matter how deep he is in the pocket so I do think Patrick has had in his past the tendency to drift backwards in the pocket and kind of fall back fall back and uh, end up creating some issues for himself but he's also gotten better at it every year so i think it's something he knows that he needs to get better at similar to how burrow may have taken too many sacks compared to the pressure trying to do too much etc not playing perfectly on time always and he's gotten much better at that where he's not taking those sacks so i think we have to give credit where it's due at the same time if you want to take the orlando brown comment as a patrick mahomes uh he goes so deep in the pocket and burrow stays perfectly up high in the pocket. Okay. Uh, I, I guess it's true. There's pros and cons for any quarterback, of course. I do think that a lot of this was scheme related, and that gets completely thrown out of the window because in this age of media, it is very much a let's get clicks. Let's, uh, you know, let's drive up the interest in this. It's not interesting to talk about five-step drops versus three-step drops or quick game, etc. It's interesting to talk about, homes Mahomes, he sets pretty deep, doesn't he? Is it by design? We're not going to put that part in there. Uh, so Oops. that's a little bit of it, but also he's not wrong about tendencies too. And uh, I think sometimes even Burrow might stay a little too tight to the front end of the pocket especially with guys out and now you've got volson and an injured karis and uh sharping up there maybe you maybe you want to drop a little a little extra and yes, just give the interior a little a little space there but i think it goes both ways at the end of the day whether it's scheme or quarterback tendency yes burrow does not drop as deep into the pocket and the ball comes out quicker that is both from tendency and scheme I'm Just going to reiterate that it is not specifically Burrow so smart that he always gets the ball out well before uh, dummy patrick mahomes like no mahomes is also a smart quarterback he is taking these deeper drops and it's by design that ball's not coming out super quick now if one of these websites which we have enough issues getting them to reliably track when the ball comes out so probably not but if it could be tied to the quarterback footwork, I think that would be really cool. Like the quarterback takes a three-step drop and how quick is the ball out? Five-step drop. How quick is the ball out? Cause that might actually tell you a little bit more than what it's telling you right now with just snap to throw uh timing, but I don't think we're going to get that anytime soon. I do think that Orlando is correct in that he won't be playing as much space. What does the Bengals uh, offense then challenge an offensive tackle with more power and the inside? so you have to stay correct inside and you can't get rushed through and that is a little bit of something that jonah williams struggled with at times where he could get bull rushed and he could give up the inside sometimes i think where leonard brown does a better job of forcing his guy to the outside but jonah does a better job when guys try to go around the outside i think so it won't but as we've just talked about with everything you can kind of turn the gears and see It doesn't matter as much. It doesn't matter as much if he gets beat around the outside if Burrow's higher in the pocket. It matters if he gets beat through him or to the inside, which Orlando Brown doesn't typically give up. Not going to say it'll never happen. It does happen Mm -hmm. to everybody. But when you're 360 pounds or whatever, ginormous, it's hard to go through you. And he does a good job of staying inside out. I think a better job than Jonah does. Jonah might be the right tackle, so don't poo-poo it too much on that side. Uh, I think Collins also was a reason he didn't give up as many sacks, despite, I think, not playing super well, was he would force guys to the outside. He couldn't sustain his blocks, and he would kind of dive at them, but he wouldn't give them the inside that often or let them run him over. I think with the way the Bengals' offense is operating and the way Burrow likes to operate – that is the way that you want to give up pressure around the outside like that, if you're going to give it up at all. And like Orlando talked about, that helps them. Uh, guards makes their life a little harder because he's tight. He's tight to the top of the pocket. You got, you, you got to keep a firm interior.
1: He's like, welcome to the league again, Cordell Wilson. <laughs> you know um but but yeah you know that quote i i should say this it was tweeted by a kansas city media member so it's gonna
0: be even better okay
1: It makes sense why there was only a certain clip of that. And and you, you hear more people and you you mention it. You're the first one to mention it because they didn't see the whole clip. And you said, you know, you got to watch the whole thing. And and even if you look at that and you you see what he said, it's not anything to to bash Patrick Mahomes. You hear Patrick Mahomes talk about Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, he had a really great quote interview um, a couple of weeks ago just about, oh, man, we lose him to, to Cincinnati. That's a bummer for us, but I'm glad he's in a good situation. Um, and you're not going to hear Orlando Brown say anything bad about Patrick Mahomes. That's absolutely silly. We can agree. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I, I mean, I think overall we we could say that it's no, nothing surprising or crazy. Even Joe Burrow talked about it. Was he happy to yeah, say it? He was agreed. like, yeah, man, he, he's the best. Yeah, he's like, he's the best right now. Like, that's that's, I think we can all agree on that. This isn't anything bad. I just there's this criticism with Orlando Brown Jr. And I just don't understand it because I mean, I know how people feel about pro bowl voting and everything like that, but he went to the he's four-time pro bowler. He's been pretty good in his nfl career 12 months ago the team that he was just on wanted to sign him to a very pricey contract and i'm glad it played out for cincinnati i I still feel like it's an upgrade in their situation at the left tackle i remember we were recorded a podcast the next day when they signed him and we're like oh okay let's talk about it let's talk about everything orlando brown jr what does that mean is he better than jonah williams is this an upgrade I I do. I think so. You mentioned Jonah Williams when you were talking about him early on. Is there anything else that really stands out about Orlando Brown Jr. that's going to be an extreme positive for the left side?
0: Yeah, I think that Orlando Brown is somebody that can actually displace, move defenders. Um, A lot of the NFL, this is not a knock on Jonah Williams. This is a lot of NFL offensive linemen. They're able to get leverage and they're able to win their blocks that way. And you're, you're trying to win a strategic stalemate almost for most offensive linemen. You know, you're trying to get, I'm going to get my hips and butt over here so that I create a hole with the center going the opposite way or the guard, whoever going the, I'm thinking center because I, this is also what I had to do when I was playing. I was 180 pound left guard. I was not moving guys very much. So I would get hold point and be able to get, my hips in a certain way so that I create a hole. It's not because I'm blasting a guy and moving him that way. It's also why I didn't love run blocking. I couldn't move guys. (laughs) Um, But Orlando Brown does more than that. Uh, I think Howard Mudd had a great quote on this. uh, The late Howard Mudd, uh, who's the offensive line coach for the Colts when Manning was there and a lot of other teams. But he said, basically we don't all have Larry Allen you know, if you have one of those, that's great. Uh, most of us are trying to, you know, just win. I can't remember if he called it a stalemate or whatever. I like to think of a strategic stalemates, just getting in position, getting in position is winning and getting leverage. But Orlando Brown is very, very strong. He's very, very big. He doesn't, he doesn't need to just win leverage. He moves guys. I think that's the big part of this. You know, your solo blocks is what I'm talking about here. Double teams, you're hopefully moving guys with double teams. But with your solo blocks, Orlando Brown will move a guy. He'll move him where he doesn't want to go. Exert his will on the defense and be able to push them and create a hole that way. doesn't just have to win his leverage and create a hole by not giving up ground. Um, I think that's something that's kind of rare it's not so rare that he's the only one in the league that can do it. I mean, when you're talking about like Trent Williams and Teron Armstead and all those guys, like, yeah, they're able to do this too. But this is something that's extremely valuable. He's not an extremely good mover, product of being huge, but he is able to move defenders really well. And I think that's something that's going to be added to the Bengals rushing attack is the right side was able to do that a little bit. Alex Kappa is very strong Uh, when Law Collins is healthy and you just ask him straight ahead. He's still moving, guys, when he's blocking straight ahead, especially double teams with Kappa and things like that. But they didn't have that on the left side so much. Volson and Jonah and Karras, basically all strategic stalemate type winners on the offensive line. Whereas Orlando Brown, he's a mover. He, he will move guys. So there'll be, there'll be some highlights of him taking defenders where they don't want to go and creating some openings for the running backs. I think that's something where you could run, you could run a lot of different stuff now to either side, because you either have Orlando Brown on one side, who's going to help Volson be a better run blocker just by virtue of working those double teams with him. And on the other side, could Jonah be a better run blocker when he's working with Kappa because Kappa is more experienced. Kappa is stronger than Volson. And I think now maybe you could run whatever you want to either side, you know, that double team should move a defender either way and uh, be able to run left or right. But if I'm, if I have one run play to, you know, get three yards, I'm going to find a way to just get behind Orlando Brown and let him try to move somebody for me.
1: When people get down on the Orlando Brown Jr. signing, it's mostly outside of Cincinnati. I always think, I'm, I'm like, did you watch Joe Burrow's offensive line over the his whole entire career in Cincinnati? This is this, I mean, him to have a little bit of time because he does get rid of the ball really quickly, which is awesome. Uh, but I, I think this is, if they can stay healthy, it is Joe Burrow's best offensive line that he's had in Cincinnati. And that is so huge because this offense does feel like it's just getting started.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I think that this is, it's all, it's all great. <laughs> no, uh, I, I okay. think there's, I think there's stuff that's negative with Brown, but I think he's a good fit for the Bengals offense. And I, I think that the Bengals really with the way they've constructed their offensive line need more Orlando Brown looking guys than they do uh, guys who are smaller and can run really well. I, th- I think that's what they wanted originally and that's even probably what they wanted when they drafted jonah williams but as the scheme has evolved become more downhill at you type runs and trying to really drive guys forward i think you want big hogs doing that you don't want little guys that are more zone based trying to do that And for jonah williams credit he keeps putting on weight and looks like good weight so maybe this is the year he he Foley ascends at right tackle. He's gotten bigger. Maybe he can handle those bull rushes and he can move defenders. He's going to show the Bengals like this is what you're going to be missing when you didn't pay me. then uh, I think we should be rooting, we should be rooting for that, right? Like yep. we should be rooting for him to get big, strong, and to have a great year at right tackle because that's better wait a minute that's my you
1: know they pay tackles you know they pay tackles (laughs) i don't think
0: think they'll pay both tackles
1: too much of a like hey you gotta move he wants to move on it won't happen because of everything that i don't even know
0: because when you listen to him talk it sounds like he still well he still loves the coaching staff and his you know teammates front office i'm not sure if that's 100 because they never called him about (laughs) They still haven't <laughs> <laughs> called him, <or laughs> to him. Uh, So that part's not great, but everything else, he does seem genuinely excited. I do think there's probably more damage there than he lets on and he probably mm-hmm. wants to move on. That's also probably why the trade request came out, but then find yeah. out the markets not as big as you thought, or maybe he didn't want to go to some of those places that were interested. I don't know. Although they sound like Jacksonville was interested, but then Anton Harrison fell to them a whole thing, but end of the day, I don't know of a scenario that they pay Jonah Williams. I mean, maybe I maybe if he is like a top three right tackle, and you're not talking about a long term payment here, but and this is a big Dude. jump. If he just jumps up to being <laughs> Pene Sewell, like do you just tag him if you've got the T deal in place? That would be my thought. You is, yeah, you could If he's that good, that's the one way I see him on the team next year. But otherwise, I'm kind of like, all right, uh, we'll see you.
1: Could you imagine? I hope we're having that conversation during the season. I hope we are talking about Jonah Williams having a career year. Uh, That would be absolutely amazing at the right tackle position. But, hey, we'll see what happens when we get there. A little more to talk about in the offseason for the Cincinnati Bengals before they get to training camp next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.
0: it's always game day in cincinnati with lindsey patterson and mike santagata
1: we are back on it's always game day in cincinnati to be completely honest again reminder we are at a pretty quiet dead period for the cincinnati bengals not hearing a whole lot i know joe Burrow um changed his name on his caption game on instagram to joey de la cruz uh he's embracing the red hot reds the reds are currently losing um after their nice little win streak so we'll see what happens between now and training camp if the reds are going to be making postseason but that's doesn't matter because it's a Bengals podcast so right now i know you said um you said it before we got on the podcast or maybe you said in the very beginning when you you don't get on social media a lot during the off season. is that correct
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm on it so much during the season just promoting my mm-hmm. articles reading what smart people have to say about what's going on with the Bengals or around the nfl i'm i'm an nfl fan too like that's that's the big part of this is like I love the league. I love like mm-hmm. the Bengals go out and I still have opinions, takes guys. I like, uh, it was cool seeing, well, I've always loved Andy Reed, even though that's become a big, a big I don't think Bengals Reed. fans hate Andy Reid. I think out of, out of, all, out of all the chiefs, I think that'd be the one guy I'm allowed to be okay with Andy Reed. Yeah,
1: like, well, Andy Reid is always um, given Cincinnati major props after those matchups and, and things like that. So I don't, and and he's, look, I know Patrick Mahomes is really good, but Andy Reid is a very
0: first ballot very... Hall of Fame coach, best offensive of mind of the generation. Yeah, you know, it's pretty I mean, good. Really um, count
1: out, I mean, you have Andy Reid as your head coach, so that's very helpful. Um, but but then, yeah, well, you're, I, you're making... yeah, I,
0: don't know. I, I love Go the. Ahead. I was just saying, like in the Super Bowl, I still had guys I like, like Andy Reid, and then I liked so many guys on the Philly offensive line. You know, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson was my guy coming out of college. Uh, so there's like all these guys. That are, like I, I want to see these guys do well. I wasn't rooting for. Well, I was kind of rooting for the Eagles just being a little. Buttoner. Oh, I was. <laughs> Not a little. I was definitely rooting for the Eagles, but I was happy for Andy Reid when they won. I, I was just kind of like, you know, it is cool. He, he wins his second. He's going to be a walk in like once he retires into the Hall of Fame type coach because if you could imagine. It's hard. Five years ago? I think you're talking about a fringe candidate with Andy Reid. Even though he was the same offensive really? mind, no Super Bowls. How many coaches have yeah, ever made right. it without a Super Bowl? Yeah, you're right. You're
1: yeah. right. Even though he's you're one right. of
0: the most winning coaches, he developed these awesome systems. It's why like if Kyle Shanahan retired right now, he probably doesn't make it. Even though he's been a genius and he's put together all these big wins and made a Super Bowl and he lost and then he's been to a few NFC championship games. Okay, there's Super Bowl winning coaches that are in the Hall of Fame. But now it feels like Andy Reid has gone in five years uh, of his like 20 something year career in five years, he went from not really having a good shot of making it into being maybe a first ballot Hall of Famer.
1: You know, and that's why, and I guess I'm I don't feel the same about being happy for Andy Reid
0: for a second <laughs> Super
1: Bowl. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I won't, don't want it to come across like that. He does seem like a, a great guy, and on, honestly, amazing football mind. Um, and it will be easier when Cincinnati finally wins Lombardi to be like, oh man, great career, Andy Reid, you did a great job. Um, but you know, this matchup alone. It's really, um, it's a really good decision to stay off social media and Twitter. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago, actually, we never hit it on the podcast, which is so crazy because there was the summer break for the Cincinnati Bengals. We could have talked about it to kind of fill the segments. Everybody knows what happened. Joe praised Patrick Mahomes. And I I wouldn't even say praise. He just said, yeah, he's quarterback number one. Jamar Chase had a little fun with it because he likes his quarterback. And he said, Pat, who? Pat goes to the Super Bowl ring night and he says, This is who with the Super Bowl rings Um, and Travis Kelsey sounds like he's in WWE uh, doing his interviews and doesn't like what Jamar Chase said has his comments. I won't repeat those, Um, you know, all this. I love the rivalry. I think it is one of the best in sports and what's so crazy about it is. You, they were a play away from it not being a rivalry but still kind of a little bit of one because of the the hatred between the two teams and how close the games are when they play each other they're absolutely insane and i'm pumped for december 31st uh what that game's going to mean hopefully it's number one seed or number two seed depending on you know where both teams are at by that time of the season they'll probably see each other again in the postseason uh but it is it's fun to watch the players go at each other i kind of like that But the the fan base, it's a little crazy out there Um, in in the Twitter world. And I guess I will say this. One thing I don't understand. Look, number one, I don't know what it's like to win a championship. I really wish I knew what it was like. I think that would be really awesome. The Bengals have been close in back-to-back years. I'm going to tell you right now, if the Cincinnati Bengals just came off a Super Bowl one, the last team I want to talk about is the other teams that I lost to or that I beat in the AFC Championship game. I am talking about my Super Bowl probably every day. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm pumped. It just it's very weird to me that there's so much. Um, I would I don't want to use the word obsession, but there's just so much from that Kansas City ba- fan base right now when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals, and I just don't know what it is.
0: I think I mean yes, I would be with you. Keep in mind, this is their second. So they already spent probably that. Well, I guess technically their third, mm-hmm. but nobody on Twitter was around for the yeah. Super Bowl three, where yeah. Curly Cult should have won player of the game. You can go back and watch that. I mm. firmly believe it he gave Michael T- Mike Tingle off the business and Len Dawson didn't really do that much. <laughs> but I watched it one time and it wasn't really paying that much attention. I was just watching the old Super Bowl because I want to see it. Uh, but anyway, nobody watched that one. So this is basically their second ring. Their first Mm -hmm. one, they probably spent doing exactly what you're talking about, where just soak it in, enjoy it. Yeah. They probably could have enjoyed this one more (laughs) because it did feel, I think even back when I was on Twitter a lot, which was like right after the season and into the the draft and all that stuff, it was kind of still going on (laughs) Mm -hmm. or like already starting. And to me, I was just like, look, whatever, they won. I think some Mm -hmm. of it just comes from, winning against absolutely everyone every time they ever play and need to win a game, except the Bengals. (laughs) That is the one team that's been the thorn in their side, even though they finally won, you know, they are one in three. I don't think of it as anything other than just like kind of a a little bit of frustration too. I've had very many cathartic experiences where I finally overcome something and I am (laughs) – very I glowed a lot uh it's usually not a person it'll be like fine I mean it happened last week I played pickup basketball and I, I missed so many threes to start the to start our well a bunch of games this is like the third game in but I was shooting like probably like 20 15 from three and I hit this three to start the third game we played and I just let out like a primal yell about being so excited that I finally hit one and I feel like that's kind of what it feels like where they went, they were 0 3, and then they finally won one. They haven't let that cathartic, like, win go, like, yeah, we finally did that. You know, we finally slayed the beast that was giving us issues. And I'm sure if this gets posted or whatever, it'll be all about how, like, we don't care. We won two rings. It's like, I know you don't really care that much, but I do think that's the only reason that anybody, any Chiefs fan, would hear this Bengals podcast in the first place is just the rivalry. The, that's yeah. the only team that you haven't been able to beat every single time you ever want to, uh, in the past couple years. I think that's the big thing, I guess the Bucks, but they were so unhealthy when they played that Buccaneers team. That Buccaneers team was really good though. I, I do think fully healthy, it would have been a game. And I think you see that by the Bucks dominating them when they were injured, but, uh, that would have been interesting to see how that goes. It was also a one-year team. They were done after that, even though they tried to run it back. Yeah, that's. Where I am is just, I do think it's a little bit of the one and three thing. If they were three and one, I don't think they would really care. I think they would just like, yeah, you, you beat us in that one AFC championship game.
1: And and I just want to say this because I, I do see a little bit of, um, it's absolutely wild that Cleveland wants to get in this conversation. Well, but they just, there. they've never, <laughs> they, they're there, but they, they will, they will be like, you know, you, you have this, you're, I agree with you. I think the biggest thing is it's the one and three. Um, and, and they finally got over it in one of the biggest moments and the games have been absolutely insane. I mean, you can go back and watch every single one of them. Something crazy happens in all of them. Um, for Cincinnati to come back in the AFC championship game. And I felt like they were driving to kick the game winning field goal. The Joseph Asai hit, which I still don't blame him for because they thought he had a great game. Um, it was just an insane matchup every single time. I, do you think it's the best rivalry in the NFL?
0: Yeah. What else compares?
1: I, nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And maybe we're too close to it. and there, it's, it, a little it's, biased. it's
0: everything that uh, they were trying to hype Bills Chiefs up as.
1: I just don't I, don't. I can't. I can't get in the Bills hype. No, I know.
0: That's what I'm saying is that this rivalry is everything that it felt like NFL writers were trying to say Bills Chiefs was going to be. Where, yeah. you know, that's going to be blah, blah, blah. You know, that's going to be the best rivalry in sports. It's two of the best quarterbacks. And it's just like, hey. How's it going? This is actually yeah. what you're talking about, and it actually feels like some of them don't really want it to be that. Like, well, hold on, no, no we want a Bills Chiefs. Uh, so, uh, not always always appreciated the same way. But I think it's the best rivalry in sports. What else compares? The, do you think the Chiefs fans give two craps about the Bills? No, Bills fans care. Even, Bills fans care I, about the Chiefs because they can't get over that hump. Other than regular season games, this is exactly where I am with the whole the the Bengals and versus Bills for the Chiefs is. A, the Bengals are your biggest threat. They're the one that's beating you in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But B, the Chiefs fans lose those regular season games. If the Bengals only ever won regular season games against the Chiefs, it would just be like, yeah, who cares. But it's that yeah. AFC Championship game they won against them as well that kind of digs in. It's just like kind of sits in there a little. Uh because what the Bills have won 2 in a row in the regular season against the Chiefs, mm-hmm. it hasn't mattered. That that doesn't like no. Even, like even it, me like, talking, like, who cares? <laughs> my reaction. But, it,
1: but it's like losing to Cleveland. None of those games yep. impact Cincinnati. Exactly. But if Cleveland beat
0: you in the divisional round, then you care. Then,
1: yeah, then that's a problem. Um, but it's so wild. It's, I, I agree with you. I do think it is that record. And, you, don't, I mean, if you, it, it's like if you're in the AFC West, you never have to hear from the Chiefs because they don't care about you. They just don't care. They're like, mm, sorry. Yeah but, we have to
0: yeah, but I I bet you. So much money that those fan bases are the ones tagging the Chiefs and like trying to do this, the smack talking and whatnot. I'm sure Broncos fans are trying to hype up Sean Payton and Russell Wilson's going to bounce back, and the Chargers keep going with the Justin Herbert thing. And well, the Raiders fans are always insane, they're the Browns of the whole operation. It's
1: there to make it four teams, like that's all (laughs) they're
0: there to make it four teams. They're going to be very excited about. That team, even good or bad, you know, got to respect that at least is that the Browns watched uh, Baker Mayfield have a bad year and they just thought, you know what, remember when he won a playoff game, we're just gonna get super excited about that. And that's where they are now with the whole. I can't believe how excited Browns fans are for Deshaun Watson, where I would be so nervous. It's like we paid him what?
1: you see those videos on uh, and again you don't see them because you're not on social media which i highly I recommend dabble,
0: i dabble i just don't go on much for my he sanity throws
1: a football. he throws a football and they're like oh gosh deshaun watson i can't believe i'm saying his name on this podcast he throws the ball did you see him throw the ball with the cameraman and it's like i hope he could throw a football five yards i mean that 50 would be, million dollars it
0: Four the seasons.
1: hype is real they're counting this is how sad it is this offseason. They are counting titles before the AFC North was created. Oh, of
0: course. I mean, look. Wait. Of course.
1: When you have zero, that's where you're at right now. The it's-
0: Bengals, la- take either one of the Bengals' last two seasons, and it would be the greatest season of the Browns' like 60-year NFL history. Let's throw out the whole eight-team nonsense when Jim Brown was able to lead them to their championships. They can love those. They've never seen them live I don't assume – I mean, shoot, I mean, how old would you have to be to have seen that live? And then, like, is that person on Twitter, on NFL Twitter? Probably not. (laughs) So uh, I just let that go. It's like if you want to count it, count it. But it almost feels just like a technicality. Like when Steelers fans bring it up, I feel like they almost ever only bring up the two Super Bowls they won that they saw with their eyes. They don't bring up the (laughs) 70s one unless they want to talk about most ever or something.
1: Well, it, it's funny you mentioned the Steelers and there was a little connection here. Obviously, Nick, our producer. Um, I was having a conversation with a Steelers fan, and, and look, I'm not comparing was Cincinnati. It Nick, our it wasn't Nick, our producer, but it, it obviously Cincinnati doesn't have Super Bowls and and Pitt, the Pittsburgh Steelers do. And I had mentioned to him, I said, man, it really feels like Cincinnati's getting a lot of heat right now. And there's just a lot of people against Joe Burrow, this team. And I don't understand it because they're so fun and, I, and it's all over the NFL. And he said, Lindsay, do you know how much hate we used to get all the time when we were winning? It happens all the time. If you are winning a winning football team. Mm-hmm. Every fan base is coming for you. And, you know, that part isn't fun, but you just be like, I don't care. I get to watch a winning football team, mm-hmm. and that's what's out there. I actually
0: thought about that before. Was <laughs> I don't remember, and it was a different age, but I feel like I'm not saying don't fight with people online, although I kind of am saying that for your own yeah, mental health, don't. if it does affect you. But I feel like I didn't see the Patriots, Colts fans of the 2000s really care when somebody was like, I think Drew Brees is better than Peyton May. It's like, he's not, Mm -hmm. but who cares? Yeah. (laughs) They just kind of like moved on. So I feel like we I feel like we as a as a Bengals community should kind of take that approach of uh you know Chubb's I don't know, Chubb 2K season tweeted out Deshaun Watson's better than Joe Burrow and he's just kinda like he's not, whatever. Who cares? I'm not I'm not getting into this.
1: yeah you just go to the you just go to their timeline and then you can be like yep that's probably one i shouldn't even read or reply to <laughs> um but no, and and definitely i'm guilty of it because you even you, you'll see those twitter accounts out there well oh, um, they hook you know, me different.
0: sometimes sometimes it's good bait sometimes it's just good bait. sometimes
1: it's fun uh and and if you're a um like a fan duel or any other um nfl Twitter, uh, I know Fandles not, but any other Twitter handle, it's smart to put the Bengals in your tweet because you'll get a lot of interaction for sure. Um, But no, I just, I think it's, it's, I think we're in the off season. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, that's going to continue. It's going to heat up in September. And of course, when we get closer to that new year's new year's Eve game, it's going to be crazy with the rivalry, but yeah, I agree. I think it's the best in the NFL. Um, There's really not one that I can compare it to right now and um, it should be fun. It should be fun.
0: Yeah. I I mean, off the top of my head, when was the last time like, inside the conference, but outside the division like this? I think Manning, Brady, but that would be multiple teams. I do think that yeah. one was probably up there. I mean, Manning, Brady. Yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, look, that was must-see TV sometimes. You're
1: yeah. right. You're right. You're right. It's Manning and Tom Brady. What am I thinking? They're yeah. um, the like, I
0: mean, best quarterbacks of all time playing at the same time. It's great. Uh, but... Other than that, I mean, the next closest I can think of off the top of my head, it only lasted a couple of years, was uh, I think the Panthers-Seahawks had a rivalry going, like 2015 era. Uh, that was that was a little something, but it didn't, okay. didn't feel as big. It wasn't like back-to-back NFC Championship games, slobber knocker fight type things. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, these are two young hip teams. (laughs) I don't know if the players hate each other or anything. I don't remember that at all. Uh, Yeah. I, this to me, I don't want to jump the gun or anything, but it feels like the very start of that Colts Patriots type rivalry where, you know, it was a very big back and forth Manning Brady talking a lot of storylines all the time, classic games left and right. uh, And, you know, you hope that you are the Patriots out of those two.
1: <laughs> yeah, can, can can the Bengals get on the Patriots side now? Start start sucking up those uh those trophies. That will be fun. But no, it's one. Well, I'm gonna enjoy it for the time being. Um, and just have a little fun with it because Cincinnati's fun right now. And mm-hmm. um, if everybody can stay healthy, they should be the same exact team that we saw in 2022, if not better. Um, I know you're still taking a break over on all Bengals. Is that correct? Yeah, hitting that training camp. I'm
0: just wait. What?
1: gonna hit it back up on training camp you're gonna get back into the groove of training camp preseason yes yeah what definitely
0: preseason somewhere maybe uh, we will see I don't know when we'll yeah I'm just taking the mental health break it's a grind you're I don't sure. know it's
1: just dude I mean what are you gonna say right now to be that's honest? where I am. I am I
0: read what other people are writing sometimes and it's just like man I don't want to write this <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't blame you. It's all good stuff. And, and if you haven't checked it out already, still plenty of off-season content, all Bengals. Um, you can see more over on Twitter, Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. We will be back next, be back next week. Sorry, we will record this week. We'll be back later this week uh, with a double header mailbag. So make sure you send those tweets. Thanks for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.